0: Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. Uh, Today's episode I am really excited about because because I think it's uh, quite relevant to most uh, young millennial uh, men in particular because just statistically speaking, we uh, as a generation do work in a lot of sales fields, uh, everything from staffing and recruiting to financial services to uh, employee benefits and and, uh, logistics and, and brokerage and things such as that. So, With a lot of the conversation in our culture revolving around demonization of sales and sales roles, I thought it would be a good idea to have a couple of folks on today and for us to have a roundtable discussion on some of the challenges of being in a sales role and particularly being young and a young male in a sales role, as well as some of the upside and the excitement and the the income potential and the impact potential long-term on uh, the career that you uh, have chosen to have. So uh, even if you're not in a sales role, you know, we, everybody at this table firmly believes that everyone's a salesman in some capacity. So there'll definitely be some information that'll be useful uh, to any and everybody. But to introduce my guests, uh, the first guest is my on-again, off-again co-host, Adam.
1: How's it going, everybody?
0: And, uh, you guys have heard Adam on a couple of podcasts, so you're well familiar with him, but our other guest is, uh, the Zach Slaybaugh, uh, a good friend of ours and a, uh, a long time, very qualified salesman in in all kinds of roles and, uh, all kinds of, uh, career paths that he, that he's had. So, uh, Zach, introduce yourself to, to the audience.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And Adam, I appreciate you guys having me on and, um, yeah, you know, I guess from um, as a, to give you a sales background on, on myself, um, I got my start in direct selling with a company called Southwestern Advantage based in Nashville. Um, I did that for seven years. Of, if you're, I think most people are, are probably unfamiliar with it, but maybe have known someone that did that in college. Um, so, what that is, is it's, you know, it's direct selling, it's door to door educational book selling, um, 80 hours a week, straight commission. Um, so, I did that really through, um, kind of through college and then, and beyond, um, did that for seven years end up was top, uh, you know, top 10, 15% every one of those years recruited, um, huge teams of college students to do that. And, and then, um, ultimately became a sales manager doing that where I was leading a team of, I think around, you know, 75, 80 college students. Um, you know, started a business, a cigar company and, and helped build that to around 18, 20, um, 18, 20 States, I guess, depending on the day and, <laughs> and then, <laughs> right. And then, um, you know, I, I parlayed that and now I, I work as a, um, a, a broker I guess the easiest way to say I work for a cloud-based, um, benefit technology company, but I am a, a benefits broker, um, specifically in the voluntary benefit space of, of, um, you know employer groups that have anywhere between a thousand and ten thousand um, plus employees.
0: So awesome. So, so you're our seasoned veteran salesman over here. Uh,
2: I guess you could say that, yeah.
0: What about you, Adam? So, so you're the other end of the spectrum. Give, uh, even though the audience knows who you are, they probably don't know much about what you do for a living. So, give a little bit of a background of what uh, sales capacity you're in right now.
1: Lately, I've been working with a company that's in the staffing and recruiting industry. Now, now most people when they think staffing and recruiting, they think of the latter half. They think recruiting. And so they think of the people who they may or may not have contacted before. They know somebody they've contacted that, you know, they they walked into their office and said, "You know, these are my skill sets, this is my resume, what jobs are out there for me?" and they helped find them a job. Now, the whole other half to that that the the business model relies on is the sales aspect. It's the the folks like me who Try to find businesses that maybe they're really large, or maybe they just have a need, or, or it could even be a mom and pop shop that just really needs somebody um, for that front desk position and they haven't been able to find somebody. Um, and we come in, figure out what the needs are of the company, um, and then figure out uh, how best to meet those needs via bringing them the best candidates. And that might mean they, their main need is a candidate tomorrow, or maybe in three months, they need the most qualified candidate. Or maybe in two months, they have a hiring class of, of 300, and they need people for all 300 of those roles. Um, and so that's the, the other half of the the staffing and recruiting industry that most people tend to not think about, um, but that really just drives the business. It's, it's bringing a new business for our company and uh, making sure that we're, we're reaching out and we're letting companies who, who have a lot of needs for employees and need to bring people in know that we can help.
0: Awesome. So, and you've been in that role for uh, a couple of months now. So, you're you're really transitioning into that space. So, the way this conversation is going to go is, I'm going to be more of a moderator, uh, take a backseat to the conversation, and, and it's really going to be more of a dialogue between Adam and Zach, you know, pupil to to master. But Adam, I want you to go ahead and start. And in the, in the last several months since you've gotten into the sales role, what are some of the uh, particular challenges that that you've found most difficult in interacting with other uh, people really for a living. And uh, Zach, I'd, I'd like for you to kind of comment a little bit on some of those challenges and, and some of the ideas, tips, and tricks that you have and overcoming them if you have them.
1: I, I mean, I think the the almost a classic sales problem, and I think anybody who is in business to some extent experiences this, but it, obviously I think it's most prevalent in sales, is not just being another white noise out there for whether it's a client you're prospecting or um uh, a huge account that you're trying to break into at the same time that you're trying to do all that and you're doing everything you can and maybe you're just you're doing a very good job there's a hundred other people at a hundred other firms selling something very similar or promising the world to that same client and they're contacting them just as much if not if not more than you are and so i think that's a definitely a problem is is how do you distinguish yourself? Um, Obviously, method number one is calling more and emailing more than the other guy. But then you you get into the realm of, oh my God, it's the same guy. He's called me 10 times today. No matter what he is selling, I'm not going to buy. And so I think that's that's definitely a big problem. I'd love to get your thoughts on it, Zach, is when salesmen can be a dime a dozen, and I know it changes depending on the industry, but when they can be a dime a dozen, how do you set yourself apart, and how do you how do you let a client know that you're different, that you are doing something different, you're you're better at the game, or that you're the person they want to work with, and not those ten other guys?
2: Yeah, you know I, I, that's a, a fantastic question. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because that's I think one of the biggest downfalls. I think I see most. Um, I think most salespeople in general, whether they're seasoned or 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 new right um, it is how you how do you differentiate yourself and how do you stand out amongst the pack it, it, the easiest way I think to for me to explain it and I think the, the easiest way to understand it is it's just adding value. Um, you know I think going back it, you can always outwork people and I think work habits are fundamentally important to success, right? whether it's um, whatever metrics you use or, or the, the company that you work with uses to define, what success is, whether that's dials, whether that's face-to-face meetings, um, whatever those metrics are. Um, a lot of times those have been distilled down and you have a a really fundamental understanding. If I do X, I should expect Y. Um, you know, those can never be taken away. Right. And so part of that is, is working down and and just really getting and hearing no hearing know the most and the fastest and more. Um, but, but I think the other part, too, to your point, to your question, Adam, is I think the biggest thing is adding value. And it's finding a way to, to make yourself stand out, but not in the way that I think a lot of it sometimes is cheesy and people will bring gifts or people will, you know, let me take you out to dinner or, or let me do this. And, and a lot of it is, you know, let me almost try to buy you as a customer. And, you know, what I found, whether it was selling books, whether it was with cigars and even now you know when you can when you can listen to the to that you're you know the person that you're trying to sell to a lot of times if you if you actually listen um not just superficially but you actually listen somewhere in that conversation somewhere and then if you're asking a couple questions before they just tell you no there's going to be some sort of problem um that you'll have that you can create a solution for, if that makes sense. And so it may be they, you know, they're they're struggling, and it may have nothing to do with the with what you're calling them to sell or to position. But it, it it's when you can find and add value to something that is totally outside the scope of of what you're doing now. What you what you started to do is they don't look at you as that salesperson anymore. Now they look at you as someone who brings value. And really, if it's outside of the scope of what you do, right? Um, it's now you, you're someone who who isn't you're that, that salesman thing is now gone. Like, well, this person helps. He's got a he has you have you fall in a different um, I think different level in their brain, and now they'll listen to you differently. Um, you know, and that I think I don't know if that helps answer if that answers your question or 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 not. But I think you know I think a great example would that be if you call someone and and you're trying to sell them kind of widgets, right? And, and it's always widgets. It's always widgets. I still don't know um, what a widget is. <laughs> does anyone? It's amazing. Um, I, apparently. I, I think that's why we still use the term widget. Um, but, but let's say, and here's a girl, well, you know, I'll, I'll try to, 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 role play, you know, my limited understanding of, of staffing is, you know, you're trying to, you know, Hey, I'm trying to, to take you as a business. And, you know, I know you're probably looking for X, Y, Z roles and I, you know, I want to, be the one that, that fills those. And I don't want to blow up your inbox, but I want you to, you know, I want to stand out. And, and so maybe in that conversation, they're like, hey, you know, we've heard this a million times, you know, we're not in that boat right now. And then maybe you do a little, maybe they don't say anything, but maybe you do a little research and you see that, that you know, that company it has, it has this huge initiative now on um, going green or recycling, or they have this, you know, they have this huge initiative on wellness. I think that I think we see that everywhere, right? And whatever that means. And and so you go back and you're like, you know, I don't have any solution for that. What I do doesn't, doesn't solve what their goal is, their end end result is. But I know that, hey, you know, I have a friend that does this, that would probably be able to to offer their services. Or I have, you know, I read this, this really great article a couple weeks ago, and I think they would get a lot of value out of it. And you just share it with them. And you're like, hey, you know, here is here is an outside. This this isn't mine. I, you know, I don't don't even. This isn't even a sales call. I just wanted to give you this. I thought that you would find this helpful. I was thinking about our conversation what you said. And now you're that next level up. And now you know you're not that salesperson. You're getting through that white noise. Um, and now they trust you. And ultimately, sales comes down to, to really three things: do they do they know you? Do they like you? And do they trust you? And Trust is the number one thing, and if they like you, which is you being genuine and listening and they trust you you know i th- I think that that that's the easiest way to to really stand out well,
0: and I think the key that you just mentioned there if if I had to condense what you what you just said it's it's making a transition it's making a paradigm shift within the mind of the individual that you're speaking to, from salesman to trusted advisor, mhm, exactly. That- that's the transition you have to make because in 2018, so, so the difference between you know now and 50 or 60 years ago, the salesman used to be a, considered an honorable profession because we didn't multitask the way we do. We didn't have uh, jacks of all trades in our society the way we, we do now. Back then, you sold one thing and you were an expert at it. Whether you were a blacksmith, whether you were a freaking baker, or whether you were selling life insurance, whatever it was, you did one thing now your banker does your banking, your mortgage, your freaking uh, car insurance. Your I mean, it's a million different things. So the the relationship is so different. Um, So so trying to uh, work your way through to, to become that advisor, because I, I had a quote told to me a couple of years ago by a guy named Richard Reeves, who was a longtime salesman uh, down in Chattanooga for a chemical company. And he said, Yavitsa, uh, sales will make the world go round. Nothing happens without somebody selling it. And I really thought about it cause I was 19, 20, maybe 21 at the time. And that was the first time that was ever explained to me. And it made so much sense because everything has to be sold to someone at some point. But I think, I think a, a bigger question is, you know, so much of sales, the difficulty of it all is that, um, you know, you, you've, you, have to interact with other human beings, and you're dependent on other people's actions and emotions to get an end result. So, Zach, talk a little bit more about what I just said about going from from a, a salesman to advisor and managing that as well the the human aspect.
2: Yeah, well, you know, and, and to, to kind of piggyback off what you just said, it, it is you hit the nail on the head, and in, in the fact that it's not even being a trusted advisor; it's 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 understanding. You know, it's being a tr- When you said master, people used to be masters of what they sold, right? They knew the ins, the outs. They knew what it did. They knew what it didn't. And then what that led to was authentic, genuine conversation, right? Because it may, it may, your solution may not be the thing that fits, but, but now you've discussed through that and you know, or maybe it is, and, and you can help frame that conversation for someone to see it. But, you know. That conversation and kind of making that paradigm shift, and, and as you look forward, and as you as you talk to these people, and, and you know, as I you know, so I, in my in my profession now, I'm sitting down with um, vice president of human resources, and in some cases CFOs, um, you know, very high level individuals of very large companies, and so those conversations are uh, a few levels above knocking on doors and selling books. Right. And yeah, just a couple.
0: <laughs> hey, you might and knock you
2: know, on the door of a CFO. You never know.
0: Have you also yeah, tried
2: selling them books though? I, I have not. Um, not sure that would work, um, given that environment. But but the you know it's funny because the, you can draw these huge stark differences between the two. But at the same point, there's a lot of parallels, and what those parallels are is it's showing your value and it's adding trust. It's building that building that trust, and it's adding so much value. To that conversation with a lot of times ancillary input, right? It's understanding everyone. So, you know, I, I work in the benefit industry and I, you know, working with, with professionals and human resources, they understand benefits, they understand the ins and outs, they understand how everything works. You know, I came in external. Um, So, you know, I came, I'd never worked in the benefit industry. And so my first year there, which was a, you know, talk about, talk about, you know, a culture shock coming from selling bookstore to door and leading teams and running a cigar company to now sitting and working with these huge companies and, and selling benefits, um, had to learn a lot. And so, I, you know, I struggled with mentally, I was like, how am I going to add value? Cause that's always been what I've been. And what I've learned is, is over time is it's not about, um, you don't have to be the expert in your field immediately, but you have to be the one that thinks differently. And adds a different perspective than what people think. And so people get so caught up in whatever industry they're in. And what is, you know, what are we doing? What have we done as a, as a company? This is what we've done for, for forever. Or this is the way that I've thought for forever. This is, you know, I think people get so caught up in the status quo that they forget to take a different, a, kind of a different frame, at, at a different look at what they're doing. And so, you know, to answer that question, yeah, you know, it's is is really, it's how can you add a different input? How can you you look at it from a different side, and and, and add input that is thought provoking enough that that value that you've added just from changing that conversation. So now it's an, an inward kind of an inward discussion. Um, you know, now you're valuable because you see something different.
0: Um, so. As soon as you said things differently, I wrote that down in my little notebook and underlined it three times. That's what I was hoping we would get to today because I think that is so crucial in a a modern age where everybody is so bombarded with emails, with social media, with text messages, with phone calls. Uh, How do you get in the circle when people are more guarded than ever? No, nobody is letting you in the circle because nobody feels caught up. Nobody feels like they have the time and thinking differently and bringing something else to the table is so crucial because we also live in an age of being able to Google whatever we want to, you know, uh-huh. Google, Google delete it. I'll take his word for it forever. Like nobody says that anymore. It's like, Oh, well, let me double check what he said. So uh-huh. thinking differently, um, Adam, t- tell me a little bit about in, in your, uh, role and and some of the success you found recently, how has thinking differently helped you get in the circle with people?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, granted, I, I do have a a large amount of experience in the two months I've been doing this to pull from, uh, <laughs> but but regardless, I mean, to to briefly for just half a second, go back to to one of the points earlier when when you're talking about you know becoming in that advisory role. Um, and really stepping into that. I've definitely had some success with that lately with with a client of mine who stepped out of the, uh, or into an industry she had not participated in before um, in a similar HR role, um, but she didn't, she didn't know the industry. And I did. Um, and I, and I've actually found out, gr- found great success by her coming to rely on me before ever having signed any sort of agreement or officially forming any sort of partnership between us. She began to rely on me as a subject matter expert. And, and, you know, there's a a thousand and one ways in that position that you could abuse it if they're if they're not the type to Google, which they're they're few and far between, but they they do do exist. And there's definitely ways you can abuse it. But um, she began to to come to me for for advice. Oh, well, what's the market rate on this? Or um, what type of individual would would be best in this role? Or what are you seeing over here? What's the standard pay rate for this? Um, and once you if you can establish yourself, yourself as that. And, um, I mean, it kind of goes back to doing your homework, you know, before ever stepping in the room with somebody, I'd hope any salesman, you know, worth anything would, would do their homework on a company or industry before stepping into a meeting. Um, but when you can, when you can talk shop a little bit and show them that you, even though it's not your industry or even though their business is not yours, you know it really well and you know how it operates. I, I've actually just in the last month found a good deal of success by, with clients and potential clients coming to rely on me as an advisor and as a subject matter expert, which has been really, really great.
2: Yeah. You know, Adam, if I can, can jump in, you know, you you just said, you know, you would expect that any sales, you know, men or salesperson worth who would, would be doing research and, and be doing that. And, Unfortunately, and, and I can say this from experience and I can say this from whether they have limited experience or they've been in the industry for 20 plus years, it is amazing to me. And Hopefully, there's one thing anyone takes away from at least our conversation tonight. It's that it is so paramountly important to actually do homework and understand what you're doing and understand the conversations that you're going to have and understand where they could go and think through what those are and not wing it. And, and I see that so many times because people who've always been good at talking are very good at, at being reactionary and kind of feeding and playing off of, of other people who who just miss that boat entirely. And, and they might be successful short-term or they might be successful um, to a small degree in whatever industry they're in. Um, but wholeheartedly believe that it is, if someone takes the time to to really focus on their craft, right? It's a rep thing. It's, it's it's not about the end result at that point. It becomes focusing on getting better every day, focusing on getting better at every call. That's one of those things that I think so many people forget about. And just like all these NBA players shoot hundreds and hundreds of jump shots, that they're not, they're focusing on their form. They're focusing on, they're not just going in and throwing up shots in a gym and they're doing it with a focused intensity and an intentional effort. And that's what I think is missed. So not to hijack that point and hijack what you were saying, but I think that is something that is so missed across the board hey. that people either get caught up in their loyal laurels or they get, you know, they don't know what to expect and they just think, Hey, I've had small success. I can keep doing this and it'll keep bringing me success when you could multiply that tenfold if you become, you know, a daily practicer of your craft.
0: And there is the 10 X plug for Grant Cardone. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, I was, I was going to say, hey, man, hijack
1: away. Um, but to bring it back to Yavata's point, because I you know, I don't want to thinking, you know, here I directly asked Adam a question and he can't even follow the one question of how you think <laughs> differently. Uh, this is a, a regular conversation that Yavata and I have when uh, one of us asks a question, the other goes on a tangent, completely unrelated. Um, re- re- the way I've been trying to think differently, at least in the last little bit that, that I've had some success with is, you know. Anytime that I either get a meeting scheduled, you know, cause most people in sales will say getting the meeting is half the battle, you know, actually getting in a room and getting them to agree to formally or officially sit down with you in any capacity means at least on some level they're interested or you've bugged them enough. Um, and what, what I've been trying to think about is, is what's the difference between those who, who get the meeting and don't close versus those who get the meeting and do and, and how, what you do in that meeting that that sets yourself apart makes it different. And obviously I think the, you know, the answer to that question is more than anything is probably, it depends, you know, it depends on the client. It depends on the day. Heck, it probably depends on the weather outside. Um, But so what I've been trying to do lately is when I get into a meeting, obviously I have an agenda. I have a game plan. They know who I am. They know why I'm there. They know what I'm about to pitch. Um, But I make sure that my game plan is very flexible and very very not loose because I know what I want to talk about, but easy to adapt right from the get-go. Um, I think the the last two face-to-face meetings I had with people and they both went pretty well um, I didn't talk business at all. One of them was like a two- hour lunch and I just gauged how the conversation was going, gauged their level of interest and how they seemed to be really enjoying getting some barbecue outside of the office and i was like the last thing they probably want is for me to come out of the gate with nothing but facts and information and how i can you know add value to their business and so i just waited and we had a great conversation great conversation and then they brought it up and that was a big win for me as when i knew that they thought at the end of it that they wanted to just begin talking business and they were excited to to start working with me and it wasn't me beating them over the head with information about my company and I, that's happened twice lately, where I've where I've kind of came in, and you can almost tell they're like tense, they're waiting for you to just break out some folder and tell you some statistics, and you know all this all this stuff that they know is going to happen because other people have been doing it. And there's almost this like audible sigh of relief you can tell when they realize you're just a person who's meeting with them. They may have something, but they're gonna you're gonna make that meeting at least on some level enjoyable for them to be in. And That's something I've been trying to differentiate myself, and I've, I've had some pretty good success with it, is gauging how and when to begin the actual business discussion, despite the fact that you, the meeting's already begun.
0: Well, and I think key there is about – so you've got the science of sales, where this many calls will lead to this many introductions, where it will lead to this many clients or customers or whatever you want to call them, but what you're describing is the art of the business. And the art of the business is being able to read somebody. And at the end of the day, when you, you, you said a couple of keywords, they're adaptable language. You should not walk in anywhere like a robot. You should have a game plan for everything. And if you come prepared, like Slayball said, uh, if you come prepared, that allows for you to always come from a position of strength rather than to be reactive. Because what a lot of people are doing, like Slayball said, is that they've been good at talking, they've been charismatic their whole life, and they just go out and wing it. And that makes you you reactive. But when you come in with adaptive language, you're prepared. It allows for you to lower the tension because the most tense moment of any relationship is the beginning. It doesn't matter if it's a friendship. It doesn't matter if it's a business relationship. It doesn't matter if it's a date. The highest level of tension is at the very beginning and you can either make or break the relationship by either lowering the tension or by raising it by, by intruding or, or trying to cross a boundary or wall before, uh, it is appropriate for you to do so. So, um, Zach, I I want you to go back a little bit more to, uh, people being reactive. Yeah. You know, and, and if
2: you don't mind, I would even maybe change the way that, that even that's framed. Um, not from a, maybe not weakness and strength. And I, and I don't say that as a, as a negative, but I think oftentimes we as salespeople, we, we get this mindset that I have to, to be strong, to be the victor. And I have to win this conversation and I have to you know, go, you know, I'm going to defeat my goals. And, and we come in with this mentality that, high level, right. Is what you need to succeed. And I think they're part of that is is driving success, but it's that, that the nuances of that, that then challenge and and change the way that you actually treat people. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I I don't even know if there's an exact, you know, I don't even know if I've I've kind of deciphered what those words are, but it's, it's almost coming in as a genuine individual And, and not from a position of strength. You're knowledgeable. You you're willing to be understandable, but, but you're willing to, to listen. Right. And so, you know, going back on, on, on that, you know, I find it so many times that, that people lack the actual ability to ask questions and listen. And, and it's not even just listen at that point. It's, it's, everyone can, you know, ask a question and sit back and cross their legs or cross their arms and sit there quiet and let someone speak right? That's part of the art. And I think everyone understands the psychology of almost playing tennis back and forth, but it's, it's the actual, the nuances, the, um, you know, I, in the notes that I was thinking about before this is, it's like, I think everyone has such a, a set level of intuition, mm-hmm. but it's, it's listening enough and being intuitive enough in that conversation to know, like Adam said, you know, where, what to gauge and how to say, but even, even taking that one step further and it's, when to press and when to not. And, and when, when, when I, I guess the the biggest success I've ever seen, um, in sales personally, you know, and and I guess to, to frame this, I don't, maybe didn't say this beginning enough. You know, I've, I've never in my, I guess, 10 years of sales, I've never not hit a president's club in any company that I've worked for. So that's generally the top 10%, at least sometimes even higher. Um, you know, and, and so I've, I've always been really successful. And, and when I've the leaps and bounds kind of ahead of, of my competition it is always, it has been when I kind of had, had that mental mind shift where it's like, I don't need to try to pretend to be this strong person anymore because a lot of times it's that ego aspect that's getting in the way. And it's, I'm going to come in and I'm going to be knowledgeable, I'm going to understand, but I'm going to take my ego and take me really out of it. And you go in with this solution mindset and you go in with this, Hey, it may, it might actually, my solution might actually not be, you know, the solution to your problem and i'm not going to say that right i'm not going to go mm-hmm. in and, and say hey i might not be able to solve your problem but what i am going to say you know what i'm going to be thinking about in my head is like i'm going to figure out if this is actually a good fit and and 99.9 of the time it is right but isn't the biggest and i think you would know this too right from your profession isn't the biggest one of the, the biggest keys of success is knowing when to walk away
0: one thought and and sorry. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say 1000%. And and let me just clarify what I mean when I say position of strength versus weakness. What, yeah. what I meant, I didn't mean when I say position of strength, I don't mean beating somebody into submission. What I, what I mean by position of strength is, and really piggybacking off of what you just said, being able to walk away. Position of strength to me is when I'm prepared and when I treat people with dignity and respect and I know I bring value. Position of weakness is when I'm not prepared, when I'm scattering and, and trying to put something together and I might force somebody through a process that they don't want to go through. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Well, a hundred and, percent.
2: And when you look at it like that, then that's, I mean, you're, you're spot on and it's, you know, it, it's at the end of the day, right? Isn't it always, it, it's such an ego battle and, and it's learning to take your ego out of it. And, and from a, not from a sense of, of you have to have this huge ego to be successful or not successful or, or what have you. um, but I am such a big believer take, you know, taking that exact concept of coming from a position of strength and coming from a position of weakness is how often do we really want something? We talk about it. We prepare for it. We, you know, we, may, we might share our goals out loud um, or, or we might say, hey, I'm going to go do this X, Y, Z. You put in the work, but at the end of the day, you don't either fall short or you don't come through. And you, and it's because you put all this pressure on yourself, or you've put yourself, you, you've mentally mushroomed yourself to the point where you almost for you're forcing yourself to succeed. Um, and I see where you're when you're saying there's a point of, you know, coming with a position of strength and, and being prepared. That's got to happen. But you have, I've become this huge believer over time. Is, is when you can sit down and and know like this peaceful understanding, like I'm going to be prepared no matter what no matter what conversation I go in, no matter what potential rabbit hole it goes down, you know, I'm, I'm not, I might not have an answer for everything, but I'm going to know ultimately, I'm going to be confident in myself enough to know that, that I know what we can and can't do. I know what I can and can't do. I know what questions I can ask. And I know ultimately, like, like you said, I'm going to treat this person with dignity, respect, and I'm going to treat, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to treat this person ultimately how they should be treated. Um, and, and, And honor kind of what they say and go along with that. So, well, I think I don't know if that is answering your
0: question, but no, I think that's fantastic. And I think you hit on something that I want to, uh, I want Adam to elaborate on. You talked about this ego battle, and particularly with us being guys, and guys have big egos. I don't have ego. (laughs) Exactly. Especially young guys. Um, You know, Adam, you've been relatively successful in life in a lot of different things, student body president, you know um, valedictorian, you were, um, you know, law school graduate, all the, all these different things. And then you get into a position where, uh, you're getting rejected a lot. How have you managed your ego up to this point? Well, I, when it comes to rejection, I definitely
1: really go back to my, the entirety of my middle school life, you know, faced a lot of girl rejection, you know, it really preps you for, for a life in sales. I think almost every middle-aged guy could probably just jump right into it for that. But other than, other than that, um, it's definitely tough. It's, it's definitely tough. I think, um, a lot of people when I mean, you, the way, the way college is these days is, and and the way I think a lot of school is, I mean, the, everybody hears the classic, you know, everybody gets a participation ribbon and you know, that's, that, that's a, in, in a lot of ways it's true. And you know, now it's, it's starting to be a, a dead horse that people like to beat, but, um, I think, I think it's a hard adjustment for a lot of people. I think when you, when you come out of high school, when you come out of college, um, you know, people, I am you're doing finger quotes right now saying, you know, the real world. Um, and I think sales is a lot more of a slap in the face than most real world jobs. Um, when you're in a production based role, when it, when your income is based upon how much you produce and it's not about walking into the office at nine, leaving at five, um, doing the same thing, um, and nothing against that. You know those jobs are great, and those jobs you know are the majority of jobs, and they they you know keep the country running. Um, but when you transition into that kind of role, and your your income is, is directly tied to how well you do, and your company, or maybe it's yourself, maybe it's you know you're your own boss, like you Yavitsa, and you know you're you're being your own boss and you're watching yourself, or you have a boss and they're directly looking at your numbers every day or every week or monthly or quarterly or whatever it is. Um, For some people, they thrive in that scenario. You know, it's a, it's an extra driver for them saying like, people are watching me. They're looking at what I'm doing and and the business I'm bringing in. Um, Whereas some people, they, you know, they fold under that, you know, it's, it's too much, it's, it's too many, you know, too high of expectations or, you know, they, they can't handle that, that level of, of scrutiny or, or that, or their job and livelihood and income being so tied to direct numbers and direct value, you know, easily quantifiable things that they are doing for their company. Um, and so I think it's tough. I mean, I, if for me, it was definitely, I wasn't too much of a stranger to, you know, slam doors and rejections. I'd worked on a few political campaigns and even done some door to door political campaigning. And if there's one thing that's going to get people to cuss you out or yell at you, it's to call them at, 630 p.m telling them to, to bring out the vote for a political candidate um, that'll definitely get you some uh, some colorful language um, so thankfully some stuff like that had prepared me a little bit um, but like you said yeah I, say, I mean it you know the one of the the core pillars of sales is in a lot of ways it's a numbers game it's for every hundred rejections you get you know 20 to 30 people that you actually get into contact with and there's a percentage out of that that you actually meet and then there's a percentage out of that that actually ends up in business um and so you have to be you have to walk in knowing you're going to face these rejections and just let it slide off i mean they're probably not thinking about it after they reject you um and it doesn't say anything about i mean it could say something about you It, it could be you doing a bad job in that moment and maybe you need to work on some things but more than likely they're telling it to every single person who comes emailing phone calling or knocking on their door and so it's just about letting it slide off and, and just, you know, staying positive and keep going. I mean, like, like Zach said, um, t- look at it from a value perspective. You have value to bring. And, and that's what changed my mindset to sales is I stopped thinking myself as just a salesman, some slimy snake oil salesman trying to shove a product or service down their throat to someone who has a service, a valuable service that clients already benefit from and are glad they do. How can I help you? How can I add value to what you're currently doing? And that kind of mindset change, that, that paradigm shift, if you will, I think makes a big difference. And if you don't have that kind of mentality, the rejections are going to build up and build up. And mentally, you're just not going to be there.
0: What about you, Zach? How did you work over the years of you know, controlling that? And when I say ego, I'm not picking on you guys. I've, I'm just speaking as the metaphorical ego of the, of the self. And, and not taking things as personal and, and keeping that positive attitude.
2: Yeah. You know, it's part of it, I would say is, is it's kind of a muscle. And the fact that, you know, after you've been rejected so many times, you just eventually stop, you know, you stop learning to take it personally. Um, I think that that, that's part of it, but I think that's, that, you know, that's, you could even say that's the superficial, superficial level. It's really learning to, to have and this is going to sound so, um, so cheesy, but it's it's learning to have that that, and and how do you get that? You know, it's learning to have that inner confidence in yourself. And I would say how you do that is it's it's, it's practicing day in and day out. Um, I'm not trying Grant Cardone plug or Gary V plug or Tony Robbins plug or or any of these. It's it's you know that one of those fundamental things that that all successful whatever anybody whatever you define as success is. You know, one of those key attributes that all of those successful people practice is that day in and day day out effort into what they're doing. And and so how do you overcome ego? Well, you know, I I've learned to overcome ego with knowledge. And and you know, you know, and the more that I learn, the more that I can put myself out there, the more I can take myself out of a position, you know, going from being like this knower and trying, you know, and training my brain to become a learner you know, asking questions, um, you know, finding, um, you know, curiosities and things to get excited about and and taking out all of this, you know, I'm really good at my job. I know what I'm doing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and now I'm finding curiosities and I'm finding, you know, excitement in the little things that are so unrelated to the actual job at hand that now I'm not only my person, but now my ego's out of it. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm present. Um, and, and I think ultimately, um, I feel like I'm using the word ultimately a lot in this, but but one of those pieces, maybe you can edit that piece out. One of those pieces is, is you know, you, you learn to be present and, and when, when you don't have an ego attached or you, you can learn to, I guess, control your ego through constantly learning and constantly putting yourself in a position where you're, you're stretching yourself and you're, you're. About you know you're learning the limits and boundaries of what you're capable of and what you're because we're going to get to that point we all get to that point where where we're amazed you know you look back two years ago and you're like where I am now I would have never guessed or I would have you know if you told me now I was you know if you told me where I am now three years ago I'd have been like wow I've I've made it right now I'm here what I thought I was make it now my like, goodness I don't feel any different you know there nothing's really different I feel like I have so much more to give and it's taking that taking that time and taking that to, to constantly learn, to constantly push, um, you know, who you are and, and learn and ask
0: questions. I like it. I like, I think the key there is, and this might be the theme of the podcast, but going from a knower to a learner, I think that's really powerful language. And I think anybody can take that and apply it to their life. No matter what profession they're in, no matter how old they are, no matter what gender they are, it doesn't matter. If you can go, I think we can all agree that we'd all be better off if we went from being knowers to learners.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So we're uh, we're coming up on time here, and I think it's a good place to uh, end the discussion for now. I'm sure we'll continue it at some later point. But uh, Zach, a question I always like to ask my guests is: if you could go back to 18 year old Zach Slayball and give him one piece of advice. <laughs> what would that advice be?
2: Oh my goodness. Um, well you knew 18 year old Zach and, and I did, he, is I did. A, he had a lot of swag,
0: incredibly
2: different. Uh, he's a, totally different than he is now. I would say learn to fail quickly, be, and, and ultimately be willing to ask what you don't know. Um, you know, I think everyone, I think there's this, you know, I think as males, we struggle with this. We fake it till we make it, or we don't want to show weakness or, We don't want to, you know, look embarrassed and we have this, you know, this thing to to carry, whatever that is. And, you know, if I could go back and and tell 18-year-old Zach anything, it's be willing to, um, be willing to, to admit what you don't know and ask for help or ask for further knowledge. Um, I think that's the the biggest, I think the strongest people are people who are willing to ask for help or, or, or ask for further insight. And that's something that I probably would have put me in a lot better positions, um, through, through college and then thereafter. Um, but, but certainly, um, probably the most important thing that, that I've ever been, been taught.
0: Awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, Zach, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to make sure that the the people I'm bringing on bring, a value add to, to everybody listening, and I'm really happy at the at the way the conversation turned out, and the things that you you brought to the table, and the things Adam brought to the table as well. And I am incredibly uh, grateful and lucky to be able to even participate in these conversations. So it's been it's been a massive blessing in my life, and it's been quite therapeutic and just enjoyable. So I I'm, I'm excited for the rest of the world to hear it, and uh, I'm sure we'll be we'll have you back on at some point in the future. We will follow up with obviously information in the, in the show notes and about Zach and his social media following in any way you want to get a hold of him. But if there's anything that you want us to look over, anybody to interview, if you want to contact us in any way, millennial manhood CIP at gmail.com. Again, that's millennial manhood CIP at gmail.com. Please share the show, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, again, our audience literally grows every single show, and, and we've gotten incredible feedback. I mean, people are sliding into my DMs on Instagram, t- telling me things about how much they enjoy the show and bringing up topics. So um, I- I'm really grateful for everybody that listens, and we will, uh, we will work really hard to, to continuously bring you guys quality content. So I hope you guys have a, have a wonderful rest of the day. Go out there and, and uh, do good in the world.